Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Illustration Department podcast. My name is Giuseppe Castellano. In this podcast, I talk to folks in illustration, graphic design, publishing, animation, and other creative fields about their beginnings, their successes, and the bumps and bruises they've experienced along the way. In this episode, my guest is photographer Deborah Feingold. In 1976, Deborah followed a jazz musician to New York City with a camera and not much else. Over the next 40 years, she would photograph major figures in music, pop culture, and politics. Among other topics, she takes us on a photo shoot with Chet Baker, Madonna, President Obama, and others. She shares her insights on the age of the built-in camera. And lastly, Deborah explains why, as a personal project, she likes to photograph illustrators. I hope you enjoy our conversation. I'm a little outside of my element here. I'm not at home. Um, I'm at my sister-in-law's home in the Catskills. Oh, good. And uh, I mean, I'm not going to complain. It's very nice. But uh, I'm recording in her like basement rec room. Meanwhile, my son is asleep on the couch behind me. Oh. Uh, Yeah. So it's just all, it's all kinds of makeshift. But uh, How, how long have you been there? Since June one, that's great. Thereabouts, yeah. Yeah, for a few great. months, yeah. yeah. We, you know, we live in Brooklyn. Um, my family and I, my wife and my three children, and uh, you know, it, it's we love where we live. Yeah. But it was just getting a little too like we're all just getting a little too in each other's faces. Right. And. We have a little bit of an outdoor space, but it does it. You know, it pales in comparison to the trails and lakes and stuff sure, that are up here. So, sure. oh, so you're we're here so lucky for now. Good. I know we 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 are very very much are lucky. Right. How are you? How are you doing? Well, on March eighth, I left my apartment in the city mm-hmm. because a year ago, last January after my father passed, he left me a little bit of money and I bought a little house in the North Fork. So we had a whole year to get it, you know, comfortable, have everything, little modifications. Mm -hmm. And I came out March 8th and I've lived here since my, and and a week later, my daughter and son-in-law joined me. Mm. And, and so uh, I don't know if you know the North Fork that well. I've you... visited it a few times. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we live on a corner. So, you know, it's it's very peaceful. Uh, don't really have a lot of acquaintances here because we hadn't been here that long and right. it was just se- seasonal. Right. But just full of gratitude. And my my daughter's is a teacher so she did online teaching Mm -hmm. until june and my son-in-law he works for amex and they aren't even going back into the office till 2021 he's a he's a computer guy right so you know it's it's challenging Mm -hmm. uh, obviously every aspect of it but uh also equally grateful that we have this yeah this is the same father who taught you how to be a photographer? Well, how to use my camera <laughs> in the dark room, yeah. <laughs> and that was, you were young when he showed you how to print and develop your own images, right? You were about 12, is that right? Yes. Did we start filming yet, or whatever you call it, recording? We did. Oh, okay. Well, um, okay, here we go. I feel like I'm at the doctor's office. Did you put the needle in yet? <laughs> Yes, it was put in a little while ago. See? Oh, yeah. I sometimes sometimes I tell people like, <laughs> okay, we're about to go, and then sometimes I just we just talk, and then right. they're like, wait a minute, did you hit record yet? I have. So my father um, uh, always did eight millimeter films, mm. and and always had a camera, but I wouldn't say it was a hobby in that he went off by himself to do it, but but. Obviously, in the 50s, that was your uh, 
should we say social media outlet or what you know what I mean yeah. uh-huh. that was what you did to mm-hmm. record uh, um, memories his brother-in-law had given him a very old oh it had to be from the 40s enlarger and it was in the unfinished part of our basement where my mother did the ironing and my father had his workbenches and I didn't really pay much attention to it he had taught my brother how to print and then when I was 12 I guess I asked how to do it and so I learned how to develop uh, film and take pictures but it wasn't that he was telling me how to do that it was just he showed me Mm -hmm. how to you know how to operate a camera and how to operate the darkroom for the life of me i couldn't find out where you were from i'm guessing (laughs) somewhere around boston because one of your first dark rooms was in a prison cell in boston and you graduated from emerson so i'm going to go ahead and guess in and around boston well wrong state but um in rhode island really yeah we're in rhode island well, everybody gets all excited, and then I say Cranston, and they're like, oh, I got it. Okay. Did you go to RISD? I did. Okay, so do we have to discuss any further where I came from? It doesn't even matter what decade you were there. It's the the reaction is always the same. It's a little, <coughs> a little giggle. A little <laughs> I'm, I'm giggling only because I have a – there's a fondness for Rhode Island and towns Absolutely. like Cranston. Yes. Uh, you know, we drove around those towns and – and I can't even think of them now, but I just loved listening to the radio and you would hear the announcer be like, you know, they would just list off, you know, it would be a, I don't know, a dealership commercial. And it would be something like, come on down to Cranston. I can't even do the accent. It, it, it's just, oh, but we, you know, we loved it. We loved it. Um, yeah. yeah. So, you know, when I was a teenager, I guess I dropped maybe 60, I don't know how well, but we used to go to on Saturday night, we were the townies, I guess we were called, and we would go to Brown. Nice. I don't know what we did, but, you know, hoping to meet someone to get us out of Cranston. There you go. But, um, yeah, you know, it's really funny because unless you went to RISD um, or Brown, you know, people don't know our reputation <laughs> as townies. Mm. But, um they, they, they just think, oh, Newport. I don't think I ever even went to Newport the entire time I lived mm-hmm. there. It's a totally and, different vibe, man. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then you say Cranston, and they're, huh? Where? What? I love it. I love it. <laughs> uh, yeah, we used to, um, we thought we were so clever. My friends and I would crash brown frat parties. Right. Not that we wanted to be there. Um, but we would crash them and then we would, many of them would have things like word magnets on their refrigerators and then we would just go in there and prank the hell out of them and change (laughs) the words on the refrigerators and move furniture and take this jar or this vase from here and put it over there. And chances are excellent that they never noticed any of these pranks, but we like to believe that they did. So it just it just made for a really fun Friday night before we went to the actual party on some street that some senior was, you know, hosting right. for five dollars right. a cup. <laughs> I guess that was an artist's way of pranking. Yeah, exactly. But I will tell you an interesting story because having photographed a, a couple of you all that uh, went to RISD, I actually in 19, I'm going to guess 59, took, I guess, drawing lessons uh-huh. at RISD. I don't remember exactly, but when I told someone this story, they knew who I was talking about. I believe his name was Conti, and he, I guess, was a teacher at RISD, but he also did private lessons to young people on Saturdays, and I remember going up almost like an alleyway into his studio. Huh. But I, yeah, but someone older than you remembered, was familiar with the Mm -hmm. name. So that was interesting. Yeah. I graduated from RISD 40 years after you took those drawing classes. Yes. So yes, yes, that's, that's right. A little outside of my, yes, my generation. Uh, You, so you're hanging around, you graduated from Emerson. 
When did you move to New York City? Was that 1978? Six. six. Okay. I graduated Emerson. I moved to Central Square in Cambridge. Okay. That's when I worked in a prison those three years. But it's also the same time that I met a jazz musician and became really influenced and just it, it was sort of life changing for mm. me. And I ended up moving to New York with uh, a jazz musician. And so that was on, that was his road trip that I came along with, you know, I I was doing, uh, like I, like, you know, I was teaching in a prison for a while, uh, to juvenile offenders, photography, and then Mm -hmm. I was substitute teaching because I had a teaching degree, not in art. It was I never really studied photography. I took photo one and photo two. And Good enough. I, I um, was doing some freelance work at some of the universities, doing uh, publicity photos for the schools, you know, for the alumni. And then I was, um, I belonged to a photo, ca- you know, like a photo co-op. Because remember, this is the 70s. And I was shooting jazz musicians, like band photos. And... Um, I didn't. I knew one person, a photographer who had graduated from RISD same time as me, and she was living there. And I just moved there because I was in love with the whole jazz scene and with uh, this musician. Your first official portrait in New York was the great jazz trumpeter Chet Baker. Right, and that what? came. That came. That assignment came through the musician Scott Lee, bass player, um, he had a friend that he had gone to school with that was starting his own independent jazz label. And he hired Scott to work with Chet. And he also uh, uh, gave me the opportunity to shoot a number of his artists. And the first shoot was with Chet Baker. What was he like? I don't think either of us said a word to each other. Uh, from what I, very little I know of Chet Baker, that does not surprise me. Well, who knows if he was high? I know I wasn't at that time, but and also, you know, so this is many years ago, decades ago, but we were somehow put into someone else's apartment. We were on a very high floor, facing north, with a lot of windows, but it was a high rise, mm-hmm. so. Um, the windows were a bit larger. Um, and I, I, and my recollection, cause I was really shy. My recollection was just asking him to move here and move there. And I just shot him, you know, in different places within it. So he had no real connection to where we were. Obviously neither did I. And so in a way it was a challenge that was presented to me. Um, many, 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 many times mm-hmm. being put into places that didn't connect with the subject and the ch- and I and, and I'm I'm thinking about this and saying this for the first time. That's where my improvisation, which I learned from musicians and and loved, mm-hmm. really began. You know, how do I make this look like he's connected to this place? It has some meaning. Right. So yeah, that was a very quiet shoot. But when I look back on the context sheets you know he was very cooperative and i see a lot of shyness or highness i'm not really sure in in his uh his expression nice um as your career was developing in those early years uh which i assume weren't the easiest of years did you ever consider quitting photography no no i was you know i was you know when i moved to new york i was 26 and today's standards, I I was old, (laughs) you know, to to start something. And again, being in that whole jazz world, I was really influenced by their passion. Mm -hmm. Because remember, these are people that are not making a lot of money, but you wouldn't know that by their enthusiasm. You know, it was just a different way of seeing the world. So I was very affected by that. So in my beginning years, Man, it was there was nothing holding me back. I mean, even when I 
I, sometimes I think, boy, I had a lot of, for someone who's really shy and insecure, I had a lot of nerve at the same time, but I also had nothing to lose. Right. And, and you also have to put into context, it's 1976, 77, 78, 79, the world was, um, felt, felt really large and it actually was, it wasn't 10 million people seeking the same thing. It isn't, do you know what I'm trying yeah, to say? Totally. It was a slower quieter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, why not? Okay, I'll send it to CBS Records. What the fuck, you right. know? Yeah. And you were encouraged in a way to just there wasn't that many blockades, you know, mm-hmm. or at least in my mind's eye. Right. Well, interestingly, that leads perfectly to my next question. In terms of your approach. So, I don't have to tell you uh that virtually everyone who has a smartphone has a camera. Uh, the built-in camera, by the way, was introduced to us in 2002. Oh, good. Okay. And you mentioned earlier social media and memories when you were talking about your dad. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, a recent study I read preparing for this episode stated that in 2014, people uploaded an average of 1.8 mm-hmm. billion digital images every single day or 657 billion photos a year, or more photos than ever existed before 2002 every two minutes. Mm-hmm. I'm guessing that daily number is higher now. Mm-hmm. As a photographer, is this something you think about? Um, it affected all of our careers, photographers. I mean, just as it did you know, to the music industry, you know, right. extreme, extreme parallels in that, um, except, uh, we are crushed by laws that don't protect us. That's why I sent you that, um, yep. email mm-hmm. because that's really important to me. The copyright acts I feel have betrayed us. I mean, it's just affected us in, you know, our income, and it, it's affected, I'm more affected by it in the adverse ways than in the positive ways, to be honest. But mm-hmm. going back to you saying how many pictures people take, yeah. this is a tangent to that. I still make photo albums for my daughter. And I don't mean virtual, I mean printed ones. Nice. And people in the studies, you know, in the reports that you read, they do talk about that people don't you know, they're, they're, they're out there, but they're not being looked at necessarily. You know, it's almost like how much of something can I have, gather, mm-hmm. collect, rather than a way of sharing them with family and sitting down. And, you know, yeah. my, my daughter's grown up with photo albums before digital, and I continue that. And it's an effort to do that because mm-hmm. it's so much easier to just you know, know that you have it, but really no one's looking at it and going back over it. Right. I think the thing I think about with it, and not that I think about photography a whole lot, uh, mostly thinking about illustration, but when it comes to photographs, when it comes to smartphones and being within a moment and, and then seeing someone pause their experience within that moment to take a picture, it's a little saddening in a way because not every single minute is an acquisitional minute you don't need to stop every time you have some kind of an experience or just see something and take a picture of it yeah but but don't you think the seek the sequence to that is then posting it so everyone else can see yeah i mean that's why they do it yeah so i don't know you know it's funny i had a different question for you and i read it to my wife and she said (laughs) it was cynical and oh, she, I love that. And she said she hated it. Oh, I'll probably love it. Go ahead. And I, so I took it out. Oh, put it back in. All right. Well, that question was supposed to go. <laughs> well, you know, I asked you if it's something you think about. I was supposed to ask you, does it bother you at all? We now know the answer. And do you think society can differentiate between hipstamatic pics of kombucha and professional photography? I don't think they care. I was worried you would say that. I don't know, though, because, you know, it also, 
this is like weird. It also depends as I'm learning from my daughter who you're looking at. Um, I think right now during this time period, that's been the thing that's touched me the most is seeing some of the work happening right now. Do do you follow what I'm saying? And and there's so much value in it. Sure. Um, Other than that, whatever. It's like candy, you know, can only eat so much at a time. I don't know. I don't follow that many people, but Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I try to be a positive person. Um, I just can't help, but to feel those sort of cynical thoughts sometimes when it comes to people thinking that they are something when they haven't done the work to be that something, or they haven't put in the effort or they haven't studied up on whatever that thing is. And then, but they yet, and yet they just call themselves a thing because that's what they want to be. I'm sorry, but you have to actually do the work. You actually have to know what the hell you're doing. Yeah. But the thing is, is that, the work has been dumbed down so much that their shit can look better than mine, you know, because oh I'm not, I'm not proficient. I mean, you know, to a certain degree, I said, look, it doesn't mean that it has the value, but you know, I'm not, I don't use Photoshop in a way of changing anything. Oh, yeah. Um, and, and, um, it's kind of like eating, eat, let me see how I'm going to say this. Um, junk food. Yeah, I was saying calories. Yeah, I was thinking you heard me yeah. start saying empty, calories. Empty calories, yeah. yeah. That's, I know, and I was like, I'm not sure what exactly that means. I have to go back over that. Wait a minute. <laughs> no, 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 that's totally, yeah. you know, I think you and I, you and I are uh, definitely cruising on the same wavelength when it comes to this stuff. But I, I, it pains me a little bit to be this cynical about it all. I really do well, want to look at it from a positive light. And I'm not saying that every single photograph taken with a smartphone and posted on Instagram is crap. That's not at all what I'm saying. I'm just saying yeah. don't uh, read a BuzzFeed.com article on how to, quote, make your photographs professional and then think you are a professional photographer. You're just not. You're someone with a camera. It's like saying – it's like picking up a crayon and saying you're Michelangelo. Yeah. Do you – when it comes to, well, we're talking about digital photography. So do you use digital, do you use like a, a mix of tr- digital and traditional? Does it depend? Um, no, no, I, I don't, um, just that. So, so let me answer it by saying to you that I use my camera as if I was shooting film. I do not shoot something and say, oh, I can fix that later. So for me, it's a plus because I can correct something while I'm shooting it, which with film, the shoot was over by the time. There was no room for error. And so it was very nerve-wracking because you'd have very little time. Let's say you you had to use you know, artificial lighting Mm -hmm. and you could shoot a Polaroid of it, but that took up a lot of time and you didn't have that much time for your particular shoot. And you'd go bring it to the lab. They would cut off a piece of film, sample it, show it to you, look at it. And you had the opportunity to push the film a little more or to decrease it but it would never look exactly as you had intended it to look mm-hmm. necessarily. So that whole thing is gone. But unlike a lot of other people, when I shoot, I shoot as if I'm shooting film. Okay. Get it now, because first of all, I have no interest in sitting on a computer and retouching everything. <laughs> and I, I should learn to do it a little better. Nah, but um, So that, that, that sort of... But I could turn around and ask you the same question. Does any of what we're talking about with digital photography, um, does it, could you answer that question too in terms of people using the iPad to illustrate um, and Photoshop? I mean, how much does it parallel in your opinion to your, your, your field of uh, art and creativity? Wow, Deborah. Damn. No, <laughs> um, put me on the spot. Oh, I'm sure you have an answer. <laughs> I definitely have an answer. And 
illustrators who've taken courses through the illustration department or if uh heard me talk at like during critique groups or something or maybe even on the forum will know my answer um i, was, I already know it but I want yeah to you already know it and people it. listening already know it basically any illustrator can illustrate whatever the hell they want however the hell they want bottom line if you want to illustrate with popsicle sticks be my guest mm-hmm. if you want to buy an expensive ipad and go to the beach and draw a pretty landscape be my guest i'm not one to say to anyone and i don't think anybody should tell anyone how an artist should create their own art mm-hmm. there's a ton of advice out there about you know everyone has to go digital or everyone has to use this or everyone has to try that yeah try it all experiment with it discover it develop your own voice with it but no one should no one has the right to tell any artist how they should create their art period that's a that is my answer that being said <laughs> i mean i'm not i'm not uh I know I'm, this is going to sound like I'm 97, but I, I just prefer the old school ways. I prefer mm-hmm. traditional art. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I did not want to. I didn't. I didn't plan to talk about this, Deborah. <laughs> well, I think I, I would have guessed. Moving on. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> total, total. Uh, just we're just going in a, like a 90 degree turn here. How do you? refer to the people you shoot do you call them subjects models guests oh that that's so interesting i i can answer that in a few different ways i treat them like my guest Mm -hmm. i see them as my subject there how's that (laughs) perfect well your guest slash subjects are some of the most prominent names in popular culture including Madonna, David Byrne, Keith Richards, Mick Jagger, Yoko Ono, Annie Lennox, Cindy Lauper, Prince, Pharrell, Keanu Reeves. Your photographs appear on book covers written or ghostwritten by Mitch McConnell, Nancy Pelosi, Laura Ingram, Mika Brzezinski, and for the Audacity of Hope cover, Barack Obama. And these are just a few of the names listeners would recognize. It took me an hour to come up with this following question. <laughs> Literally an hour. Mm. How the hell did you manage that? Uh, I, Reputation? I, yes. I mean, I think reputation and i think so the there's a fair amount of political figures that you mentioned and just to gather that together again that's a sliver of folks that people would recognize yeah but in terms of the that that cast of characters i think that i mean one will never know why i got it but i think that i think they knew that the those people would be safe with me Mm-hmm. I was not the subject of a shoot they were. So there's some people, you know, photo- very well-known photographers that, uh, how I see it, people were props in their photographs. Do you follow what I'm mm-hmm. saying? Mm-hmm. That was the opposite for me. I don't even know if it's really the opposite, but I never approached my work that way. I always felt, believe it or not, you know, that, it was um, it was my privilege to be able to do that. Okay. I mean, I, I'm going to have to rethink Mitch McConnell. That was probably for the money, but um, <laughs> but but um, yeah. I was working for the publisher. Mm-hmm. I had an assignment, and I had to make and I wanted to make that person feel comfortable and be accessible because the truth was is i was asked to package something that they were going to sell does that make sense to you Mm -hmm. but that was easy for me because that's who i was Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know Mm -hmm. it was like i didn't come first and and 
I think I could be relied upon to be able to bring back what they needed. And I felt that I did it well. That was the, cha- I mean, that was one of the challenges, right? you know, how to make someone, you know, like Appro- niche approachable. Yeah. 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 And I could do it really, really quickly. Not so much in the beginning of my career. I was very shy, as I said, Mm -hmm. in the beginning. But as I got older, you know, I became more confident in my abilities. And I also learned how to get people to talk about themselves. Um, I never discussed, I kept it really light. I hate Mm -hmm. to say it. And also you have to remember, when I first started out, the people whose work I admire, let's say in the music field, these photographers were living with the bands. They were becoming friends with them. Mm -hmm. They were going on assignment for Rolling Stone for weeks at a time. I was given a room in a conference office at a record company And I would wait in line to shoot James Brown while all the other magazines went in there. And I learned early on, how am I going to make that picture look like I'm not in a conference room? How am I going to get him to warm up and be comfortable really quickly in a conference room? There were multiple challenges. And that really trained me Mm -hmm. for what came later, you know, in in the covers that you refer to. Was that I answer those questions? I'm always secure. Fantastic. Okay. Uh, Do you have a tip for me uh, in terms of warming up guests or making them feel comfortable? No, you did did a great job. You were really good at it. And also, your cadence, your your voice is very soothing. But um, I was complete. You're really good at it. I thought, oh, this guy's sharp. He's good. Oh, jeez, Deborah, what the heck? That's a no. It was true because that's. I mean, I've done a number of podcasts, but you were great. Oh, and thanks. even when I emailed you and said, oh, maybe we should talk first, you know, because I didn't know who you were. And I, I did have to check it out. I did have to ask one of my illustrators. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wanted to make sure it was a safe place because um, of my respect for the people that have allowed me to come into their lives. Mm-hmm. But anyway, um, no, you're very good. Oh, thanks. And, I, and, and you always... don't need any advice. That's good to hear because I'm always so nervous when when I hit when the Skype call goes bloop, bloop, and then the person comes up. I just get really, really nervous. And I, you know, try to breathe and just try to be cool and chill and but yeah, okay, but, I'll but, just keep doing what I'm doing. But sometimes people uh can upon first meeting them can you know, uh you're like, whoa, whoa, hold on. And you you just you know what I mean? It takes a minute to okay get back to, as you know, I mean, not everyone is as lovely as me. And so, <laughs> so, so when that happens, like you give them their space, that's yeah. what I do, yeah. you know, because you know, you're going to take over. <laughs> Go ahead. Oh my God. Um, <laughs> because you know what, being yeah. a photographer like that, mm-hmm. you're, you are in the same position that you're in, in some ways, only with the added task of having to make them look amazing, do the art direction and all that. But mm-hmm. All that verb, you know, as an illustrator, you're not talking to the subject that if you're doing a person or something like that, you know what right, I mean? Right. It's like you, we wear a lot of hats and if you're really good, you, you know, sometimes we're better at some things than the other. Sometimes mm-hmm. I could make someone more comfortable than I could take an interesting photo of them. Well, it's interesting you should say that because as I was doing research, I do at some point, hello, illustrator listeners. I do at some point want to talk about illustrators. We will. But I have one more question okay. about uh, okay. celebrity okay. pop culture folks. I read that you, when you photographed, I was going to say shot Madonna, but that doesn't sound right. When you photographed Madonna, right. it was in 1983 at like the, literally the precipice of her absolute stardom. Right. And it was in your apartment, which was a studio bedroom. Uh, <laughs> and you would like, essentially stacked your furniture up against the walls or something just to give yourself some room and you had only taken something like three dozen photographs of her and you yeah. gave her a lollipop and gum well that was in a bowl i was serving that that's what I was that was your that was your yeah 
It's like, would you care for some gum? That was the catering. <laughs> I uh, wasn't getting paid for the shoot. <laughs> what? Really? I think it was, I don't think so. It was on spec. For, who, for I, like Rolling Stone or somebody? No, this is, no. This was, I was shooting from um, an amazing magazine at the time called Musician Magazine. I was their staff photographer, but That's they, right. I really wanted to shoot her. So I approached them and they said they weren't interested. So then I knew this great guy named David Keeps and he was editor of a magazine called Star Hits. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, you'd see everybody at the clubs and the writers and or waiting in line to do an interview. And so it was a small circle of really weird writers and mm-hmm. photographers. Mm-hmm. And I said, David, and I really want to shoot this up and coming artist, Madonna, you know, could you arrange that? And he said, yes. So I didn't have a big budget for catering. <laughs> Incredible. But you, but you had said that she was a little on the shy side. Absolutely. She was, again, it was, oh, it's really interesting that you say that there's really certain parallels to the Chet Baker, you know, because mm-hmm. this was sort of the biggest, although we didn't know it then, but it was, you could feel within her presence there was something really special. Yeah, which could also, yeah, feel take with over Chet. the world. Yeah, right. And um, I knew her publicist because I was doing some work and was very friendly with another publicist at Warner Brother Records. Mm-hmm. So Liz Rosenberg, who stayed with her her almost her whole career, she brought her in. She was made up, ready to go. And all my furniture actually folded up, the beds, the tables. And it was just, I think it was 500 square feet. And I know that it was nine feet wide because the seamless fit just the width of the apartment. Oh, my God. That's awesome. And, um, you know, I would, not to simplify it, but she did her thing Mm -hmm. and, and I did mine and then she left. <laughs> oh, that sounds like my podcast interviews. You do your thing, I'll do mine, and then you leave. <laughs> oh so my god, that's still, incredible! It's still shocking today the impact that that image has had. Yeah, well, it's a great image. I know it's crazy though, and we just both did our thing quietly, mm-hmm. and um, and ran it through, photo, ran a few uh, Photoshop filters through it, and uh, you know, called it a no, photograph. No, no, and in fact, this is so funny. So she's standing behind her is a second light, which puts the glow of that black background around her like a spotlight. Mm -hmm. But I had to spend a lot of time. Remember, this isn't Photoshop era, (laughs) making sure her body covered it while she was dancing and moving. Mm -hmm. So I had a lot to look at and think about because whatever was done, I couldn't fix after that. I mean, you had to stay really Focused, And that's, if I can just take an aside. So these trillion photos that are taken a day, mm-hmm. they're taking a lot because they're never getting it. And they're retaking photos over and over. Mm-hmm. When you were shooting, you had to stay really focused on so many aspects of your photograph. You know, especially if you were in a sort of studio. Well, I guess anywhere. Anyway, that's you can cut that out. But that's no, interesting. I'm, are you kidding? I'm leaving that in. Definitely. You know, we could, we could, speaking of cutting, we could end our conversation like right now. And this would be a great conversation for illustrators. Like illustrators could pull a lot out of what we've just discussed. But let's talk about illustration because this is the illustration uh, department podcast. And um, most of the folks listening are illustrators. You've captured portraits of some of the greats in illustration, including Ed Sorrell, Seymour Quast, who was a guest on the podcast, Marshall Erisman, James McMullen, who I love dearly, just his work is just unbelievable, Catherine Streeter, Joe Chardello, and like, and just a lot, so many others. Um, by the way, the portrait you did of Stephen Kroeniger is the one he sent me for his interview mm. on the podcast. Um, so who, who was your first illustrator? How did you how did you transition over to the illustration? Industry. Well, it it's um personal project, uh-huh. and um on my Facebook, it was more Facebook at that time. On my Facebook feed, I had a lot of art directors, right? Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. because that was my world for so many years was doing book covers. And through that, I started seeing these illustrators. And that was a world I knew absolutely nothing about. Mm. But to take it a step further, it was also 2016 when this was happening. And it was happening before the election. I was very agitated by the lack of what I felt was voices from notables, you know, as it felt more and more possible that Trump could be elected. Mm -hmm. And the most powerful thing that I was seeing was these illustrators' works that were turning up on my feed. Mm -hmm. I was like, holy shit. I had, you know, just as I had done my first personal project, photographing jazz musicians in terms of who they were as people and what they represented to me at that time, suddenly after 40 years, I felt this strong passion to capture their image. Yeah. Is that how you kind of connected with like Barry Blitt was one of your, uh, yeah. one of your and guests? I made, so Barry, I think Barry was my, I don't know. I cold, I just, I, I, I can't remember the exact sequence. Joe and I, Joe Chiardello yeah. became friends on Facebook. Okay. And on Keith Richards' birthday, he posted his illustration and I posted my portrait. Somehow I suggested to him, would you like to do a trade? And then during that time is when I said, you know what, I want to photograph these people. So I asked Joe if I could take his photograph. Mm -hmm. And I went to his house, which I was very familiar with that area just by coincidence. I used to have a little cabin nearby where he lives. And I photographed him, and that was my first shoot. And then I asked him, I explained to him my interest in the project, Mm -hmm. in, in starting this project, and asked him if he could possibly draw up a list. Um, of other people also that he might suggest. Plus I had my own list of people Mm -hmm. and that was how it started. Yeah. And then he made a few introductions and Mm. then I just started cold calling people, you know, emailing them. And once I would mention who I had shot, then they would say, um, you know, they felt comfortable with that. Right. I never posted any of the photos. I never asked them to sign anything, permission to do anything. Because once I I felt that if I start to go in that direction, then it's going to be feel like work. Like I don't want to ask them for something other than to allow me the opportunity to enter their studios in their homes and take their picture because now it, then it's work yep. it's going to take away from the essence of this being something special uh you noted in several interviews that billy idol stormed off of a shoot and destroyed some of your equipment um i like to imagine somebody like seymour quas doing that oh he was lovely Is, isn't he yeah i know I, except he didn't really want to be doing it yep and deal. Then, same deal Yeah. But then what was interesting is usually I sit and talk before with with the people, Mm -hmm. but his um, printer wasn't working. And as a a person uh, in my later years, I know what it's like to be frustrated and not be able to fix something. Mm -hmm. And so unfortunately, I empathize, you know, Mm -hmm. not to him, but with him that he was very distracted. Mm-hmm. But then we sat and talked and then he like totally relaxed and we had like a really nice, nice conversation. Wow. But I'm really grateful that in spite. Oh, I remember what he said. I always send people pictures afterwards. Mm-hmm. I remember he made a comment about I should have stood up straight. <laughs> Not in the ones that have been published, but in yeah, some other. I can just hear I him said. say that just kind of matter of factly. I should have stood up straight. 
But, yeah. you know, you go Amazing. into these places and you don't know what you're going to find. Oh, totally. And I was, and I, this is really embarrassing. I was so afraid that the artwork that I photographed him in front of him was not his. And I didn't have the nerve to ask if it was, but I think it was his. Yeah, his, his, his apartment is, is ins- like when I took the elevator up to his apartment right. to interview him, speaking of nerves, oh my God, I was so nervous. And I walked in and his apartment is gorgeous. It's like, you know, in New York City, it's like the classic. And uh, he was just kind of matter of fact, just sort of like, oh, hey, all right, okay, over here, here's the table. Just sort of like, I, I, I've done this a million times, let's do it, let's do it a million and one times. Right. And I'm like, whatever, man, just record the interview and just get the hell out of there. And uh, I cracked a joke and sort of a third of the way through and he giggled. And I think it was about Ezra Jack Keats borrowing some of his paints or something. Uh-huh. And he giggled. And then after that, it was, it, you could just totally sense the like yeah. the ease in the room, which was which was cool. And then we had a really great conversation. So. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it, it was good. It was it was challenging, though. And and so I, I always do try to sit and talk before I photograph. Yeah. But that time was yeah. a real reason why you don't do that. Wow, this all sounds this all sounds uh, very familiar with the kind of with how I operate the podcast. Just the whole thing. Right. Right. And uh, <laughs> on the other side of the coin, I asked Ed Sorrell if he wanted to be on the podcast, and he responded via email with a two word <laughs> answer, no punctuation either. Not interested. That's it. So Ed and I have become good friends. Please tell me he's like just an absolute curmudgeon and hates podcasts and it's not personal. Oh, it's not personal. Okay. It's not personal. Good. Um, it would kill me to think that Ed Sorrell like doesn't nope. want to talk to me. No. It would, it would be perhaps the day that you or the minute that you asked him where, where, where his head might be at. Okay. And... He's, he's, um, oh, let's just say I really like Ed. He's complicated. As we all are, but mm-hmm. he doesn't try to hide his. <laughs> Perfect. When you set up a shoot with illustrators, what are you, what are you saying to them? What part of them are you trying to capture or, or what are you hoping to capture? Um, good question. And I go in with nothing mm-hmm. <laughs> because everything is there and it's just a matter of trying different angles different shots yeah. getting to know them while I'm doing it in some ways at best they'll play with me and many of them do mm-hmm. but I'm already in their universe you know, right. and and that's what's made this so exciting and makes me when this pandemic passes to continue this project. I mean, they're artists, so it's, you know, yeah. half the half the job's already freaking done as far as I'm concerned. Uh-huh. And it's about and also I'm, I will tell you that what I do is I. I, in this project and in my work when I'm able to mm-hmm. is just creating different vignettes because I'll usually do three to six maybe mm-hmm. different little vi- but I'm very quick little vignettes mm-hmm. but they've already said it with their work you right. know I don't feel this burden um, and again I mean the spaces the environments no matter what they are, are just um, filled with who they are, right. to be honest with you. As opposed because, to like Chet Baker in uh, someone else's high rise. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, there's there's something there that makes authenticates it for me and mm-hmm. takes all that pressure off. But there was one shoot that I did, and I shot this really tall woman uh, illustrator in her um, studio, mm-hmm. and I didn't have a lot of room. And physically, I really struggled with it. I'm not that tall, you know, and she was much taller. And it's one of the few shoots where I was really struggling. And then I went downstairs into her living room. And I remember that I'm not seeing all her artwork, but I'm seeing her home. Mm-hmm. And 
that's when it happened. That was it. It's perfect for me, mm-hmm. you know. Um, do you remember who it was? Of course I do. <laughs> <laughs> Dumb question. Uh, well, I want to admit to her that I struggled in the yeah. beginning. Yeah, <laughs> no, I hear you. You know, it's funny. Uh, speaking of Cho- Joe, speaking of Joe Chardello, uh, the photograph you took of him looks to be like in his. Obviously, it's in his studio, maybe in an attic or something. I'm not sure. Um, but he looks just like my father, like just like him. And it's a little weird. It's a little oh, strange. wow. That's yeah. so cool. I don't know. Maybe all Italians look the same. Maybe. As they, as they say, you know. Maybe. On that weird, like, last note. Uh, I just thoroughly enjoy uh, talking to you. Sadly, however... We are recording, and this is a podcast, and I like to keep these conversations moving along. So speaking of direction, what would be one last bit of advice for any creative, whether it's photographer, illustrator, popsicle stick artist, who are just starting out, hoping to bring a bit more focus to their to their goals? Um. This is not going to sound original. Know the past. Look at your predecessors. I teach a photography class, and I am shocked by what they don't know, who they don't know, whose work they don't know. Mm -hmm. That's really sad, and the truth is that's what my class is based on. I have them photographed in the style of other photographers. And what's always interesting is when I leave it open for who would they would like to photograph. I mean, yeah, like they take it off of Instagram and it is pictures that are poor imitations of master's works do you follow what i'm saying on 100%. that okay is that a good answer for you mm-hmm. in this immediate this this feeling of a, a culture of immediacy surprising to see how little they know of, of history mm-hmm. and some of their most provocative work as students came from being forced to look back and try to understand and dissect to help them develop their own unique voice. To learn more about Deborah, visit DebraFeingold.com. If you enjoyed our conversation, please share it with your friends, subscribe to the podcast, and provide a positive rating and review. Become a patron by visiting patreon.com slash illustration T-E-P-T. In return, you'll receive our soft enamel pin, a reusable discount code for 10% off, and access to patron-only episodes we're calling Extra Credit. This podcast is produced by the Illustration Department, a global leader in online education for illustrators. Visit us at illustrationdept.com for class offerings, testimonials, the alumni showcase, the podcast show notes, our new forum, the bookshop, and more. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.